listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Hey there, this is Todd Urey with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We are excited to be at the APHA 2022. And this is going to be an amazing event where we're going to be interviewing several pharmacists, stakeholders, people in our industry that is changing and transforming the industry, transforming pharmacy as we know it. Please stay tuned. Make sure you share on social media and use hashtag APHA 2022. Thank you so much for everything you do as our favorite providers. TogetherRx. Hashtag TogetherRx. Hey, we are here at the APHA 2022, the Experience Zone. What's exciting is Locked On Pharmacy has been a part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network for about three or four years now, and we get an opportunity to talk to the future leadership of pharmacy. I have a special guest. That is Sean Jeffrey, PharmD. Welcome to the Locked On Pharmacy Podcast. Thank you very much, Todd. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience. Yes. So you were on stage, you were on the opening uh, kickoff uh, session this morning, and you were talking about your uh, potential leadership role. And I kind of want you to give our listeners a little reference on yourself, but then why you want to get involved in, in leading the APHA 2022 as president. Well, let me give a little bit of background about myself. I've been a pharmacist for over 27 years. My career has spanned multiple different practice settings. 15 years of it was spent in the VA system. I have training as a poison information specialist. And right now, I am the director of pharmacy for Hartford Healthcare's Integrated uh, Care Partners, which is an integrated delivery network. It's the largest medical group in Connecticut. And as the director there, I oversee population health initiatives, all the pharmacy quality initiatives that are tied to Medicare STARS ratings. And I help to improve our system's performance and really working closely with those prescribers to give them the tools, the data, and uh, the resources that they need to be providing the best pharmacy support for their members. All throughout this, I've been in academia. I'm a professor at UConn in the School of Pharmacy. And what I like to think that I'm doing is I'm putting my words into action. I'm teaching what the future generation is going to be practicing by building this new model of care. Uh, A model of care that's really based around what happens when you move from a fee-for-service world into a value-based world. And you're suddenly not on that hamster wheel where everything is about doing more procedures, but instead it's around the total cost of care and how you manage that. And that's where pharmacists play a really critical role. So I like uh, I like the thought of the true value-based 360-degree impact that a pharmacist could have on someone's life. An example is like I was in the opioid usage disorder sector of healthcare for four years, and I saw that many of the medication-assisted treatment centers were focusing on addiction, but they weren't focusing on the hypertension or the diabetes or anything else that was going on. As soon as you inserted a pharmacist, what do you know? The results of, let's say, a titration off of a methadone to a Vivitrol or something, that secret 10-day window that you have to be clean of everything, guess what? A pharmacist that held the hand of the patient during that time, 
was talking about some vitamin B or something else that you could be taking to kind of take the edge off per se of what you're going through. That's very special to a pharmacist. And every disease state that you and I could shout out right now could be tied back to a pharmacist having an overview of comorbidity you know, possibilities of what else is affecting that patient where the primary care, when you show up with your knees hurting, they're focused just on your knee hurting. And I think the pharmacist presents a really interesting opportunity to expand away from just the prescription to being a 360 degree care provider of, of our patient. Well, you know, in that example that you gave, if somebody shows up and their knee hurts, they're gonna use a code for knee hurting. Yep. That's gonna drop a bill for that visit. It's not about the total care that's involved in why that knee was hurting. It might have been the obesity that's wearing out your joint that hadn't been addressed during that visit, yes. but needs to be addressed in the long run. Right. And, that, and you know, the pharmacist is just uniquely qualified to occupy that space. And to my colleagues in medicine, they're looking for this support. If you ever talk to primary care physicians, they are maxed out. You, pharmacists are maxed, but so are primary care docs. Yes. They don't have any more minutes, seconds in their day. What they need to start doing is offloading some of the things that pharmacists can help them with. And when we partner together, we actually deliver much better results. Their quality scores up, their patient satisfaction scores goes up, the cost of care goes down, yep. the connection to the healthcare system for those members increases. Yep. It's a triple threat, win, win, win all around. Exactly. But you have to leverage your pharmacist within your network. And, and that really takes talking to your leadership to make sure they understand the value. They, they can see beyond that there's a cost associated with putting a pharmacist in there and they are looking at the broader picture of what's the overall uh, impact that we have when we have everybody practicing at the tops of their licenses, whether it's the pharmacists, our nurse practitioners, our PAs, et cetera. So it has to really be a team. Dr. Jeffrey, where can our listeners go to learn a little bit more about you? Well, that's a good question. Uh, so there's a couple of places that you can go. Um, you can certainly find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. That would be two places that you can um, I love connect, LinkedIn. connect me, connect with me. Uh, there's also on our university uh, website for the Yukon School of Pharmacy, there's a web page there that gives a little bit of information about myself. Uh, and there's also a little bit about what I do within our practice at Harvard Healthcare Integrated Care Partners. I wanna thank you for your work. I wanna thank you for your um, push to become a greater leader in the profession. You're already a leader in the profession because of the impact that you're having on so many students that look to you to uh, setting the stage for their careers for the rest of their lives. And they're gonna remember you for the rest of their life saying, you know, Dr. Jeffries really took the time to tell me A, B, and C about the profession of pharmacy. I just wanna thank you. Well, thank you very much. We're at a critical point. Everybody seems to say that when they're running for office, you know, running for president-elect, I think I have an opportunity to help take what I see happening, both legislatively, you know, in practice transformation, and it, and bring that to the broader population of APHA. You know, I'm a beekeeper, and uh, I, I'm learning a lot by being a beekeeper. And bees make something called propolis, and propolis is a substance that they use to glue everything together in their hive. And you know what, APHA is the propolis of pharmacy. Oh, I love it's that. It's what glues us together. And it's together that we're the strongest. So we all need to come back home. This is a big tent organization. It needs to be a place where no matter what practice setting you're in, you feel comfortable. And it's my goal to help make that happen.
Together RX. Thank you so much. It was You're nice welcome. talking with you. Thank you. Hey, if we don't have expertise in the profession of pharmacy that really understands how analytics turns to better patient care, payment reform, PBM reform, then we're never going to get to value-based care instead of prescription-based care. And being more reactionary, um, they're reactionary today, it should be more proactive and pharmacists could be proactive. You are one of my heroes, Antonio Chacha here at the APHA 2022 post-conference podcast show. You are locked on pharmacy like no one else in the world of the business of pharmacy. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Todd, great to be with you as always. So you were on stage, you were very inspirational because you kind of set the stage of what community pharmacy is going through based on the payment restrictions in choking off pharmacy services of being what they could be based on the transactional fight that we're in right now with what PBMs are doing. Set the stage for our listeners just in case they don't know what you've uncovered as a, as a meticulous, very detailed, data-driven organization. So, you know, in the old days of pharmacy, you know, pharmacists could turn the lights on and make a good living. Yep. And over time, for better or worse, you know, PBMs and insurers came in and said, we're not going to pay you as much. And eventually, as PBMs consolidated more and more, they were able to lower the rates of reimbursement more and more. Well, unfortunately for pharmacists, you know, that healthy margin that they used to make was what they used to really staff up appropriately and do all the extra stuff beyond just billing the medications. So that was like the, the altruism of pharmacy, right? Well, as the PBM started pushing further and further down, a lot of that altruism left. And what, what was that altruism? It was services, right? Like taking care of that patient, not just passing the meds across, but making sure everything was okay, talking with the doctor if necessary. All of that's been squeezed out. And so what we're talking about is, is look, the old payment model that may or may not have been the right alignment was at least healthy enough to make pharmacists, you know, at least have the bandwidth to do more and go above and beyond for the patient. And this just isn't there anymore. So what we have to do is relook at how pharmacists are incented. How do we make sure that we don't just rely on altruism? Because let's be, let's be clear, there were pharmacies that were getting paid decades ago that may not have been doing the right things. Right. So exactly. we need to realign that payment model to say, look, we're going to pay for what we want. And that needs to include dispensing, but it also needs to be less of a concentration of all the incentives into solely dispensing and moving it beyond so that we're actually paying pharmacists to make patients better. So I think of the Medicaid payment director, whoever you want to call them, let's say they're in the state of Pennsylvania, because that's my state, so I'll use that as an example. And they're looking at massive amounts of payer data, and but there might not be any outcome data per se. But what they don't see in the data is the 76-year-old mother, grandmother who's taking her meds and splitting her pills because she can't afford to go back and get smacked with another copay and, you know, the, the domino effect of what that does. And now instead of taking her 60-milligram tablet of medication, she's taking 30 milligram or, or maybe a component of that. That's real world impact to patient care and patient health based on what we want out of PBM reform. Talk to our listeners about the balance between profit or even the money that it costs to run a pharmacy 
ecosystem and patient care. So when we talk about incentives, it's not like a black and white thing, it's a spectrum. And so one of the things that we've seen historically, and I'll, let's, let's talk about pharmacy real quick. So we have been successful in the state of Ohio back when I was working with the Ohio Pharmacists Association in getting pharmacists recognized as providers, which gave them the ability to bill for any clinical service within their scope of practice. It was really, really hard to get there, but eventually we got some pharmacies started and they started to see wonderful results, bringing patients to their A1C goals, their hypertension goals, et cetera, et cetera. And we talked about that today at the, at the, at the conference uh, during, uh, during the general session. But one of the things that ended up happening was COVID. And all of a sudden the pandemic hits and now pharmacists are thrown for this you know, whirlwind. Their staff starts getting disrupted because you know, COVID's tearing through the pharmacy. They're trying to simultaneously do the same things they were doing before. Oh, and ad testing, oh, and vaccinations. One of the things that really kind of threw provider status off course though, was that pharmacists started getting paid very, very well for those vaccines and tests. Not to say that they shouldn't have been, but it was a very high degree of incentives relative to their, what they were used to. And now when you go back to the traditional services they were offering through provider status, even those COVID vaccinations and tests were eclipsing that. So what happened? Pharmacies who were in a position where they had to prioritize where they put their staff, they started to concentrate them more on the vaccines and tests. Now granted, that was the right thing to do, but this is what happens when you over incentivize something relative to other things, is that trust that the business that you're trying to do, get to do something is going to pivot where the incentives are most concentrated. So look at what's happening with PBMs right now. PBMs are taking advantage uh, in many instances of arbitrage of the prescription drug transaction, whether that's through spread pricing or effective rate clawbacks, DIR fees, specialty overpricing and steering, all of those things pharmacists will look at and say those are nefarious practices. I would take an even more broad look at it and say what it really is is it's a bad incentive for PBMs to raise the cost of medications and make so much money that they actually don't really take the pharmacy benefit, at least what the pharmacist could offer, all that seriously. That makes sense. And there are other things attached to a disease state that the the pharmacist isn't getting compensated for, but they're doing the counseling. Let's say there's a vitamin deficiency in your liver because you're on some medication and pharmacist, I don't know what medication that is, so shout that out. But regardless, if that's seriously a case, they're not getting paid for that consultancy per se to say, hey, take this vitamin X, this will help you with the deficiency out of your liver, blah, blah, blah. That's a component of community pharmacy, especially long-term care for our seniors, even compounders, that they've known that for years, they've provided that service for years, but they've never been compensated for that service. Totally, and as I mentioned during the session today, it's like, look, all the charity of pharmacy has really been squeezed. I mean, it's, it's, there's not much left to give. Uh, a lot of it has been misappropriated, as, as we've seen with a lot of our PBM investigations. And what I tell plan sponsors, whether that's employers or I talk to government programs like public employee retirement systems or uh, Medicaid programs is, look, you're spending a lot of money in pharmacy benefits. What do you actually want to buy at the end of it? They, yeah, they want to buy drugs, but as a, no, no, you actually don't want to buy drugs. What you want to buy is a better outcome. Yeah. And so let's start looking at pharmacy differently and say, not just look at them as a, uh, as a mechanism to facilitate the transfer of pills. Let's look at pharmacy for the actual clinician that lives within that transaction and seek ways to better incent a better ROI when we're deploying that, that individual who is the most accessible 
the second most educated healthcare professional that we have. So if we just say, hey, we have the opportunity, you got a mental health patient, a diabetic patient, you know, a patient with a heart condition, mental health issues, they're walking into this healthcare facility, yes, pharmacy is a healthcare facility, every month. What do you want to do? Do you want to just underpay on the drug and say, get the heck out of the door? Or do you want to press pause and say, hey, can I get an updated address or updated phone number? Now that's not clinical, all right, but that's how basic that we could start. And then we could start getting into like, hey, how many Pepsis are you having every day? You know, are you adherent to your medications? Is this treatment even appropriate for you? Maybe we should talk to your doctor. None of that that we just said there, it's not incented in the model. So we have to change that. And that involves an overhaul of how we look at how we pay for pharmacy. When you said mental health, I immediately thought of the the pharmacist who's been doing behavioral health, maybe a psychotropic medication, and realizing that that medication may not be even metabolizing correctly in that patient. So why aren't we running a PGX test to ensure that they are, you know, metabolizing as intended? That is, in fact, an opportunity for pharmacists to drill down and ensure that the pharma company designers of the meds should get data back from the pharmacist that says, oh, by the way, um, 46% of the patients that were on med NDC 123, it wasn't working as intended because it's not metabolizing correctly. All that and more, right? The, the, the issue here is that we've relied on what the pharmacist can do and incenting what the pharmacist can do through this simple act of dispensing. We've, we've just, we've, we've took it for granted that all of that is cooked into the model. And the model ain't what it used to be. And so you have to rebuild that model. If you, if, if you want to run those types of tests, you need to incent its delivery. If you want pharmacists to engage in you know, naloxone counseling, you need to incent all of that. And so right now we need to look at pharmacy differently. We need to say, look, we need to neutralize what it is we're spending on the drug, make sure neither the pharmacist or the PBM or anybody else involved is over-incentivized or under-incentivized to perform that dispensing service. But in addition, we have to recognize that there are other services that we need to build on top of that foundation. Awesome. By the way, pharmacy podcast listeners, Locked on Pharmacy listeners, 46 Brooklyn has a podcast and it's out. So if you go to Google right now, put in 46 Brooklyn podcast, it'll actually bring it up. I've actually tested that, actually. All right. <laughs> so that, that's good. I, I want to thank you for being part of this. We do want to do more collaborations with your group. It's always the best of information, and, and I love what you're doing, and it needs to happen for the betterment of our, of our health. We, we need public health to understand there's an impact to health based on the payment factor. Uh, look, Todd, I mean, you've done a great job of amplifying a lot of the issues in pharmacy. What we aim to do is make sure that, you know, the more that we can simplify how drug pricing works, the less we uh, many are able to exploit it. And so I uh, appreciate the collaboration we've had over the years. Absolutely. And Antonio Chacha with 46 Brooklyn here at the APHA 2022. Thanks for listening. Let's take a quick break from the post show and learn about a new series coming to the Transforming a Nation podcast with Shane Gerritsen and Jordan Smith. Hi, I'm Shane Gerritsen, pharmacy student and co-host of the show, Let's Pharmanize. I'm Jordan Smith. I'm a pharmacist uh, specializing in infectious diseases. We want to tell you about a new series we plan on bringing to the Transforming a Nation show that focuses on the disparities faced by the transgender and gender non-conforming community. As legislation continues to push blatantly discriminatory processes and policies across the United States, it's critical for pharmacists and healthcare providers to rebuke this continued hatred and animosity. 
Pharmacists must act now to affect legislative policy and encourage the education on gender-affirming therapy and providing optimal care to our gender-expansive patients. We'll be talking to pharmacists, members of the community, other folks you've heard from on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We hope you'll add your voice to the conversation with your local providers, policymakers, and neighbors. These policies are impacting gender-expansive use across the nation, not just in Texas, uh, interrupting care, causing long-lasting harm. As pharmacists, as first-line healthcare providers, frankly, as human beings, it's incumbent upon us to help these folks that need it now more than they ever have. Uh, we have to act now to protect uh, gender-expansive youth, and it's our responsibility to advocate for all of our patients, especially those who, again, are really, really being targeted now. That advocacy starts now, and we hope you'll join us on it. Pharmacy Podcast listeners, we are here Locked on Pharmacy Podcast with the APHA 2022 in San Antonio, Texas. I am here with a superstar out of the great state of New Jersey, Dr. Manik Emin. How are you today? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, buddy. You are absolutely right. I can't believe what you've done in such a short amount of time, especially through the pressures that were put upon you as a community health leader during the pandemic in delivering how many vaccines has, has Skip Pack done just through your team? We just passed the uh, 80,000 vaccines mark uh, this past week and 20,000 tests. So over 100,000 COVID tests and vaccines. And the beautiful thing about it, it was all done through the help of our community. That's incredible. You know, the, it's, it's passion and it's push and it's understanding the impact that community pharmacy has on a community and community public health. Why did you want to become a pharmacist in the first place? As I used to live uh, right by Merck in uh, Lansdale, Pennsylvania, and as a child, I always drove by there saying, one day I want to work there because I wanted to find a profession where I could truly help people. Um, I realized my grandmother had her own doctors, many doctors. Um, she used to go to a pharmacy too. Um, however, I realized that unless there was somebody that interjected that actually cared about her as a patient, she could get lost in the whole healthcare system. And that's when, as a, as a youth, I actually took it upon myself to start um, making med sets for my grandmother, um, looking into all of her health conditions. She had diabetes, heart failure, a lot of different issues. And there's so many seniors and patients out there, unless someone actually looks into the, the microscope and takes care of them on a personal basis, they're gonna get lost. And unfortunately, there's gonna be many lives that are lost just through um, some of these health conditions that are lost or medications that are oversought. It's incredible. So when you think of the APHA and this conference, has there been any sessions or keynote speakers that really stood out to you? Just this last uh, keynote um, that was speaking from Not Impossible Labs, um, I actually had goosebumps just listening to him. It was just like I took a Red Bull. And uh, I was texting my wife saying, uh, when I come home, we're making some changes. And uh, it, it actually like, brought, brought joy to me that for us, it was just the vaccines. Like we saw a problem in our community where people had access to getting vaccines. For Mick of Not Impossible Labs, uh, he saw an issue of, of a community that had a lot of amputees due to a war, and he wanted to resolve that issue of giving life to these individuals. For us, the vaccine was giving life to our community. And no matter what, whether it was two o'clock in the morning, whether a senior called and said they couldn't get out of their house and we had to go through a scary part of a local neighborhood, we wanted to get out to every single person that had a need and a want to get the vaccine. And we became their best friends in the process without actually uh, forcing anyone to get it. We were able to give these vaccines and we gave love along with the vaccines. And that's what we need to do as healthcare professionals, not just give these medications, but along with it, give a, give a dose of love, care, 
and compassion with it because everyone has a story. We just have to bother to hear it and help them out. Dr. Armand, you have your Clark Kent outfit on right now in front of us, but you are Superman out in the community and kids look up to you, the community looks up to you. And I love the theme that you wore that suit as you were carrying that vaccine from the delivery truck into the pharmacy or into the, uh, into the center that you were serving. That gave me chills to actually watch that video, especially with the fin uh, photography and filmography that you put in the, you know, the, the ability to, to use a talent in content production, which is my passion, and using that to educate the public about what pharmacists are capable of doing. That meant a lot to me. So prior to the COVID vaccines and opening a pharmacy, I was a wedding planner. So I was there for someone's best day of their lives. And these patients, uh, not patients, these these people, these couples, brides and grooms, I get it confused here and there because <laughs> I do still plan weddings. They're all weddings. patients to you, huh? <laughs> I do still plan weddings in between the pharmacy and vaccine clinics. But uh, the bride and groom will remember you for the rest of their lives. Whether they're having a child, they'll send you a text message saying, here, my child was born. Thank you for being there for the best day of my life. Um, and now when we had this opportunity with vaccines, we were doing the same thing for people. But, but like you mentioned, um, it's the, the ability to tell a story. Yep. Um, the story wasn't about me. It wasn't about Superman. Right. Um, it was about the S on, on the costume. We were all servants to each other. And for once, hum humanity came together for a cause that was bigger than any one of ourselves. Um, and we wanted to make sure that story was heard, um, not just for the pharmacy profession, for, but, but for the sake of humanity and our community coming together, because hopefully our message resonated throughout the world and allowed other communities and leaders to step up in their own communities and also create that sense of hope and get more vaccines administered. And that's what the production aspect of our vaccine clinics did. Well, it was heard. I think what MSNBC picked it up and it made national news and it was all over the place. So you did exactly, you understood the assignment as they say in that meme, but you, you've done some amazing things with blending being inside the community, being a servant leader, as you said, that the S stood for, and it wasn't Superman, it was servant. And that, that's beautiful. Um, I wanna continue to support you any way we can. I'm proud to even, you know, be standing here with you, be able to take a picture with you and stuff. But I want other pharmacists to understand, especially our community pharmacy owners, they know they're making a difference. But there is some uh, creativity that if they slow down and think, let's make things fun for our community. Let's make, it make, make communications better for our community to understand the dangers of not getting vaccine, vaccinated. Or maybe there's a danger of not following up on a medication that you're on that's an adherence thing. And I think there's an aspect of communicating that differently than it always being so serious. And I, and I think you've tapped into that. Well, now that we have this platform, um, pharmacy has never been on this platform. And I'm sure maybe they have 40, 50 years ago and there, when there was something else, another issue that happened. But in my lifetime, um, I haven't seen pharmacy on this platform that it is currently, where if there is a, an issue that happens, we're the first people that the senator or you know the governor's asking for help. And um, now that we have this platform, we have to take this responsibility and take it seriously. Yep. Um, the costume and everything aside, we've been given a responsibility uh, for the public health and to be able to handle large things like this. And now that we've been given this responsibility, how do we take this the next step forward? We had this the last year, the last two years of us helping people, but as COVID rates go down in our communities, what are we doing next? And that's the, the question that I have for all the owners, every pharmacist, whether you're working for an independent, a chain pharmacy, it's what are you doing with everything that you learned these past year, two years and moving it forward because pharmacy is changing 
and we as pharmacists have also, also have to change with it. And that's keeping patients at the forefront of everything that we do. And if we keep that uh, in the forefront of our minds and remember that that patient that wa that's walking through the door and or coming on a wheelchair and can't get out of her house, that could be, treat them like that's your grandparent. Because there's some people out there that don't have somebody else. And we want to make sure every single human being with a heart is taken care of. And that's, that's our job and responsibility as pharmacists. Well, thank you for being part of the post show, APHA 2022. We can't wait to have you back. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, we are here at APHA 2022 San Antonio. This has been an absolute amazing event. In the, in the exhibit hall, we're embedded in the APHA's booth, which is a dream come true for me. After 13 years of podcasting, we're actually here at the heart of pharmacy, the association that brings everything together from a pharmacy perspective, the Experience Zone. It's conference season. I was at Scope, then I went to Vive, then I was at Pharmacy Development Services, where I met Dr. Marcy Strauss, PharmD. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast Network here at the Locked On Pharmacy Podcast. How are you? I am great, Todd. Thank you so much for having me and great to connect. And it's it feels great to say in person. In person, too. I know. First APHA event in three years in person, and it's wonderful. Since 2019, it's yes. just been uh, too long. So let's talk Marcy Strauss, Dr. Strauss. Tell us and our listeners, just in case they didn't listen to, we have a series going out on PDS that you got to be part of, but talk about... Um, your career in pharmacy and kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about today? Great question. So really to kind of take it back uh, quite a few years as far as my career in pharmacy, this is my my 10-year anniversary of graduating from the University of Maryland, all our Maryland listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and But where I wouldn't really be where I am in my career if it weren't for mentors. So when you think about career in pharmacy, that's really been the catalyst. So where I've been as far as getting involved within APHA, national associations within the Maryland Pharmacists Association, um, and really things kind of took off, I would say, in, in 2016. That was a pivotal point in my career. I uh, was in the independent pharmacy space, having the opportunity to develop a program from, from scratch. But I think for all our listeners out there, it's you, you're passionate about a job, but it can it's so easy to kind of be in that silo and just yep. kind of get fully enmeshed in, in what's going on within your area of practice. So to have that opportunity and really seize the reins to get involved in pharmacy and meet others from all different areas of practice, which is one of the things I love about being involved in APHA and also in the state association as well. So I had the opportunity to really get involved at the ground level with APHA, serving on volunteer committees, working my way up to leading our MTM special interest group a few years ago for APHA, serving on advisory boards, and then really wanted to also take that to get involved at the state level as well to make a difference within Maryland Pharmacy. And actually now I'm serving a few years, been for a few years on different committees with MPHA and running for president-elect of the oh Maryland my. Pharmacy Association. That's, congratulations. <laughs> so being in these leadership roles, you get to see things from multiple perspectives because you you remember before you were in a leadership position that you felt like you weren't being heard by other leaders. So what has leadership taught you with regards to the responsibilities that you have in taking those roles? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So 
kind of when I think of leadership, I think it's more about inspiring others to follow your footsteps, to do amazing things, to be better versions of themselves. And when I think about leaders who have been influential on in my life, that's exactly what they have done for me. I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for those. And I want to be able to give back to others that are coming after me, our student pharmacists, our new practitioners. Yeah. So I know what it's like to be in those shoes and kind of not sure where, what's your path? What do we want to do next? And so to be able to kind of give back to the profession, even though I guess I'm not really a new practitioner anymore, <laughs> which feels weird to, to say. It went by no, fast. No, it did go by fast, um, but still it's it's never too late, I think, to, to get involved and to give back to the profession. So to be able to inspire those that come next and help them figure out what's the path for them and to be able to blaze those trails and help them become better versions of themselves. All right, so let's shift to the word specialty. And I don't mean specialty pharmacy as much as I love specialty pharmacy. <laughs> what I mean is pharmacists gravitate towards things that they're interested in, which ends up having an impact on their patients, which is awesome. That's like the whole purpose. So you have passion in a multitude of things that I think you've brought leadership to. Can you share with us some of the mission, the individual missions that you work on as a pharmacist? It's a good question. So I, I would say it's a few different things. Um, one of the things I'm you know, really passionate about is you know, helping community pharmacies yes. thrive yes. and be able to turn their stores into patient-centered destinations and help them be able to make sense of all of that noise out there and be able to, to navigate that constantly changing landscape as we move from that dispensing-centric to more of that value-based and patient-centric atmosphere. So a lot of what I do. So for those of you who listen to the PDS podcast, I uh, got to hear a little bit about what I do within that role and yep. helping support community pharmacies. But I would say in addition to that, kind of on the other side of the spectrum and, and, and passions is really working with our future pharmacists, our student pharmacists, trying to serve as that, that mentor and someone that can inspire them and look up to them and help them really understand what are all the different things you can do with a PharmD. Because yep. even though I'm only 10 years out of school, it's changed so much just in those yeah. 10 years. And for those that already know what they're they're interested and passionate about and are already taking those reins and charging ahead, that's awesome. But there's so many students, even new practitioners, that aren't even sure what's out there or what are those opportunities, especially those more non-traditional routes. So as someone who has taken a very non-traditional route in my career, really love that opportunity to be able to connect with those students and help them kind of realize what are all the different paths that they could potentially go down. That's awesome. And there's so much... Um opportunity because of technology, because of remote patient monitoring, because of uh, sexual health or fertility or LGBTQ issues. I mean, there is so much opportunity for pharmacists today. If you are a pharmacy student and you're listening to the Locked on Pharmacy podcast, it's, um, it's APA's, APHA's podcast, I want you to realize that if you jog in the morning, you exercise, you're driving in a car, Subscribe to these podcasts because it's a way for you to learn about your profession from people like Dr. Marcy Strauss, as well as so many of our hosts. We have 42 hosts now that are talking about all kinds of different content. So definitely take advantage of audio learning and supplemental audio learning for your own careers as future pharmacists. A shout out to you students. Keep going. This is the best time to be in pharmacy, even though you may not think that that's the case based on some of the things that happen in the world of retail community. Retail community is one of hundreds of opportunities, including 
the entrepreneurial track that you invent something that's never been done in pharmacy before. So, Marcy, this is special to us that you're back with us in uh, in talking with us, and we're just uh, we're happy to to not only support you but seeing you grow in your own career as you help others grow in their careers. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey there, Locked On Pharmacy listeners and everyone that attended the APHA 2022, I want to say thank you. I also want to give a shout out to Dr. Scott Kenor for everything that you're doing for our industry and the APHA transforming um, pharmacy, transforming the role of the pharmacist. I also want to shout out to Robert Hodges. Thank you so much for your support, Robert, and letting us be a part of this. We're so proud to be embedded in the APHA's booth. This has been a wonderful event, and thank you so much for everything you do. Together, Rx. Together, Rx.